0: transform talks podcast
1: great to be here lovely to meet you maria
0: so you know what there is a lot happening in supply chain i even don't even know where to start when you and i were having our sort of pre-call before this podcast we were trying to figure out all the things that we're going to talk about but let's start with the pressures let's start with the kind of pressures that supply chains are under um what do you think it looks like for the foreseeable future uh,
1: i think the the old adage that you should give a busy person a task to do it has never been truer with supply chain leaders at the moment i think we've seen the biggest perfect storm that, uh, that the supply chain field has ever seen in in peacetime um and this isn't something that's happened um you know even in the last couple of years this has been growing uh, for a while now um you know even before covid struck in 2020 uh, we already saw geopolitics affecting supply chains. We saw the U.S.-China trade wars. Um, and that geopolitical situation more recently manifested in the war in Ukraine. Uh, the changing place in China in the international market uh, has uh, exacerbated the situation. Then, of course, uh, we, we've got more closer to the home in the U.K. Brexit has significantly changed uh, the U.K.'s place in supply chains, both as a buyer and a seller. Um, and there have been barriers erected that just weren't there uh, at all before. And businesses, particularly small businesses, um, have really been uh, struck by the increased uh, complexity involved in international trade. Um, and I think companies up and down the value chain um, from the uh, from the very top of, of supply chains through to, to um, industrial manufacturers have found the flexibility of labor that they'd enjoyed for, for decades. Uh, almost evaporating um, overnight. Um, COVID, of course, had a big impact, not just in the way in which uh, we all work, there's you know, we're quite a few of us now working from home, uh, but also in the way that businesses react to each other um, and work with each other as well. And, and I think a lot of those impacts that we saw during COVID have continued and, and now the, the way we work together, the way we do business. Of course, COVID finished, and well, came—I should say—came to an end.
0: <laughs> I don't. I, I wouldn't even say it's even at an end. It's still out there in China, you know. They've got a zero-tolerance policy.
1: Yes, I—I I, I agree. Sorry, and, and my my um medical and biological network colleagues would have um, clipped me around the ear for saying that. I think we've got into the post-COVID environment. Um, the vaccinations have have made us um come into a more mainstream way of doing things um, and as a result of that we saw a huge spike in demand as, um, as companies try to get back to where they were pre-2020 um, and that resulted in, in almost a whiplash effect on supply chains as they tried to react to that. That then led to the increase in uh, prices for energy. Uh, it started to see the, the rise of inflation as well at levels that we haven't seen uh, for, for decades. Um, and we also, while all that was happening, we also st- saw the interruptions to supply chains from accidents, um, from fires in ports, from natural disasters uh, all around the world. Um, so the, 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 we're in a situation now, and I think it was McKinsey that did a study that said, we're now facing the biggest pace of major supply chain disruptions that we've ever had. And the duration of those disruptions is now longer than it ever has been. Um So put all of that together and and we really do have a a situation where trying to make a decision on how to react and what to do has never been more complicated, not helped by the fact that we're also uh, partly as a consequence to all of that, digitizing our supply chains and going through digital transformation with the biggest set of solutions and tools, every one of which is promising to solve all the ills um uh, that, that supply chains have ever had at their fingertips um so we've got um the the increased need for for cost efficiency for greater supply chain resilience for more sustainability whilst at the same time having the biggest number of levers to pull so it's it's no wonder that some supply chain leaders are finding it a struggle to figure out which levers do i pull and
0: and when there's just too many forces at play here. There's too many forces at play. And you and I have talked about this before, where sort of the outdated models of, uh, main, you know, of, of sourcing goods that were perhaps maybe implemented during the 90s, or maybe even before that outsourcing, having to uh, depend on countries that are perhaps no longer friendly, uh, it really is going to play havoc with the way that people source materials. Now, this is where I get to, to the interesting question and why you're here which is to talk to us about 3D printing, because, uh, you know, is it misunderstood? Why? I'm just going to jump straight into why do we not use it more in supply chain? Given all the pressures that you just talked about, wouldn't it be easier to just 3D print stuff? (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And um, in a lot of cases, it really is. Um, however, I don't think that the the 3d printing um, world has done itself many favors over the years. Um, if we go back uh, maybe 15 years ago there was a huge um, spike in hype um, driven in a large part by almost a self-fulfilling um uh, prophecy that uh, that that 3D printing was going to be the next big thing, and that drove share prices up, which got even more interest in in the area. Um, those promises were very much overhyped and and the the reality that then transpired uh, where we didn't all get Star Trek replicator like 3D printers in our houses, uh, that we didn't all have three d printers in our factories and on our desks doing everything just didn't come to pass um and quite rightly so they went they were those were expectations that were never going to be achieved however three d printing has evolved significantly in that time uh we've seen the pace of technology development both in terms of what 3D printing is, uh, the technologies that, that that are qualified as 3D printing or additive manufacture, to use its more formal term. We've also seen the uh, an acceleration in development for materials as well. So we've got a huge array of different material types, from metals to plastics to even organics and ceramics, that can now be produced using the technology. Um, but 3D printing is not um, a, a a very easily leverageable technology. You can't just go and buy a 3D printer, put it in your factory, and away you go. You're going to be making things as you were before in, instead of using traditional assembly lines, for example. Um, it's a complex ecosystem. It needs software analysis to figure out which parts make sense for you to 3D print. It needs engineering design to create the design files it needs the engineering skills for what is a very complex piece of machinery in the 3d printer itself Uh, we need post-production skills as well you can't uh, or very rarely i should say you take an item straight out of a 3d printer and it's ready to be used in a lot of cases in most cases you need to do something to it you need to coat it you need to finish it and an awful lot of those processes add a bit more time to the the cycle time to use it the biggest hurdle, though, uh, and, and I think that one is probably the, the the one that needs to be overcome as quickly as possible, is mindset. That hype that we had 15 years ago and the subsequent disappointment that came through um, means that there are an awful lot of supply chain leaders and, and uh, managers that just aren't aware of what 3D printing can actually do. Uh, or worse yet, they've got the wrong idea about what it is. Um, the latest surveys have found that the majority of things that are 3D printed are destined for end use, uh, either um, parts that are going to be sold on to an end customer, or an end client, uh, or the tools that are used in traditional manufacturing. Um, and whilst the technology, which is 40 years uh, old after all, was used initially for designs, for making prototypes, and about 40% of things nowadays are still very much in that area. The bulk, that 60%, are actually parts uh, for end use, spare parts, tooling, uh, and items, new items as well. Um, So overcoming that mindset that 3D printing is a maturing but is sufficiently mature technology is probably the biggest biggest hurdle. The second one is... Just managing that complexity um it, it's you know with all of the different parts of the three d printing value chain to be coordinated um given that those supply chain leaders those procurement decision makers are having to coordinate across all of those agents that's a that's a hugely complex um, number of voices that are needed to get the the choir of three d printing to come together
0: well l- let me park the complexity for a second and and come back to that because. Uh, it's an important point. I want to tackle the mindset issue. I think what you said is really very important. I remember 15 years ago where the panacea of additive manufacturing was was ripe, right? Everybody was talking, we were going to have 3D printers in our houses. Everything was going to be done 3D printing. Our ha- our houses were going to be 3D printed. Uh, so I, I think, you, well, I guess the question is, do you think that that pre-existing sort of prejudice or mindset issue is really limiting supply chain leaders or business leaders in seeking additive as an as an actual solution today.
1: Uh, it certainly didn't help. Um I think that that uh, the 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 graph of expectations which companies like Gartner are very very good at drawing um, show the, the quick rise of expectations and then you you have a peak and then when the expectations aren't fulfilled uh, they drop away into the trough of disappointment um, normally before then picking up again and reality sets in um, and actually the technology does prove to have some amazing benefits um, but perhaps not at the, uh, the, the, at the speed and breadth of applications that was promised in the hype. Um, so the I, I don't think that that helped uh, fifteen years ago. However, we have moved on. The the technology has moved on. Um, the ecosystem, I think, is is probably the biggest thing that's moved on. We've seen uh, because of that that expectation, those disappointments, a lot of the arguments for why companies weren't or people weren't using 3D printing from standards and quality assurance to the range of materials, the precision of 3D printers. Um, All of those have been or are being addressed. Uh, I think we've got the biggest class of material scientists that universities have had probably since the 1960s and 70s. Um, We're seeing um, new uh, new, uh, 3D printing technology companies popping up uh, almost on a monthly basis. Um, we're seeing new technologies cropping up on a quarterly basis. So, if I was to list the different technologies used in 3D printing, we'd probably have a week uh, on this call and, um, and and
0: still not have done it justice. All right. So, so, so hold on. Let me interrupt you here because you're you're getting into the complexity thing, and I want to and I want to jump back into the complexity thing and set the scene. Tell me what supply chain is not complex right now. You know, so I think I think let's start there. I I get it. I get what you're talking about. Maybe it's a bit daunting for someone that has been put off or maybe doesn't know much about 3D printing. But right now, the supply chain, given the preamble you just gave us explaining what the issues are in supply chain. They're all complex. And you know what? They're going to get more complex. There's also a lot more things coming in. The pressure for sustainability, the pressure for, you know, I don't want to get my goods all the way from China to then be shipped to Brazil, to then be shipped to back to me in the UK. You know, th- there there is some real stuff coming down the line. There's some real issues, geopolitical issues that are making these supply chains way more complex. So let's compare apples to apples, right? Uh, could this complexity that you talk about maybe not be as complex as people think.
1: I think we've we've managed to dig ourselves into a hole through the supply chain networks that we um, set up over the last 30 years. Um, I think there was, a, there was an awful lot of optimism in the 90s about the way in which the world was. Um, and despite the fact that we did have several downturns, both in the 90s and the early 2000s, after which we had calls for increased supply chain resilience, uh, increased risk management, which, to be fair, were heeded for a short period after each of those. Um, We found that quickly the uh, approaches that we used uh, from uh, uh, supply based diversification to um, what have you, bringing in supply chain risk management, all of those tended to die on the altar of cost efficiency. Um, the COVID situation was by n- no doubt was, was the biggest disruption we've ever had because it affected not just the supply base, it affected all supply bases and it also killed off demand pretty much at the same time, something that we've never seen before, uh, certainly in peacetime, um, I might even, uh, you, you could even challenge that not even in wartime do we see something like that. That changed mindsets. Um, The fact that the implications, the impacts affected everybody at home and at work uh, have meant that we've now got, I think, a new paradigm. We have got the mentality where supply chain resilience is not a nice to have, it is a must-have. When we see figures coming out of the consultancies that point out the um, percentage of profits that are lost through supply chain disruptions, um, it's no wonder that, that that question of how do we improve resilience and and challenging our current assumptions uh, has been growing. So we're seeing the needs for, of course, supply chain diversity, um, for, for moving supply bases out of higher risk areas, for shortening supply chains. Um, I can't think of Actually, I can think of one supply chain that has probably taken that to its extreme, and that's the hearing aid supply chain. Uh, So hearing aids um, until 10, 15 years ago were uh, traditionally made. They were were normally handcrafted or used um, uh, um, uh, injection molding predominantly. Um, They were expensive. They were also very international. In a lot of cases, production had to go halfway around the globe. Um, And what we saw in the last 15 years is those supply chains getting shorter by bringing production closer to the end use market uh, and also becoming more digital in their manufacturing. And in fact, in the US, every single hearing aid nowadays produced is actually 3D printed, um, whether using a 3D printed mold or the actual hearing aid case itself is 3D printed. So that's eliminated distance. It's eliminated uh, complexity. It's eliminated steps in assembly. So I think we're, we're now heading to a point where the supply chain engineering operations and design areas of organizations are asking questions on how they can collaborate to reduce uh, complexity, to increase resilience, to reduce cost. And sustainability is, is almost like a core between all of those as well. And I can't see that changing.
0: Well, neither can I. And the biggest thing that you said, well, you've, you've said a lot that is fascinating, but I think the the one that resonates the most with me is what you just said, which is challenging our assumptions, right? And so the assumption was, okay, fine, 3d printing additive overhyped, you know, we sold it too hard and it didn't pan out to what it was. That doesn't mean that today in the year 2022 going on to 2023, it isn't a valid, uh, option. So the so, so the biggest question now is okay. So how does a company take the very first few steps towards using three D printing?
1: Um, so there are, there are several ways, and many of those ways will will inevitably lead to failure. <laughs> um, normally, because of the the over promise that might be there, or the aspirations, or actually misunderstanding about how simple this is. Um, the the one the, the way in which is most likely to fail is to just go out, buy some 3D printers, stick them in a factory and say, right, we're switching production to these things. Um, certainly the machines are very capable. We can make things out of metals uh, with very high specifications. Um, we can make things out of plastic very, very simply. We can um, replace injection molding. Um, up to a particular uh, uh, number of items that are produced, th- those capabilities are there. However, very rarely do you have all of the, fi- the, the 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 factors that you need aligned to make that happen. It could be the data that you need to prove that there really is a case and, and show that the 3D printed part uh, or, or item is cheaper, is being made more quickly, is the right design... Um, very rarely do you have the skills in-house to produce design files. Even um, recently trained CAD designers uh, won't necessarily have the the capability of producing um, design files for use in a 3D printer. It is a specialist area. Um, you won't have the maintenance staff to, to look after this high-spec piece of equipment, um, and so on and so forth. So the, the very big top-down, just, just you know, the Hail Mary approach of let's just go out and buy a printer and it's all fine won't work. Much better to start small and scale up. And this way has two big advantages. The first is that it does things in a low-cost, low-risk way. So you can try it. And if it doesn't work, there's not much being put into that project. If it does work, then you can scale it up in a controlled fashion as you identify new things that you can 3d print and should 3d print where there's a case um, and learn the lessons from that process as well and it's that learning the lessons that the the start small and scaling up has the biggest benefit by doing that you're showing what it can do you're showing what 3d printing can do not just to the supply chain folks but also the engineers that are going to be using and creating designs but and also to the management that needs to eventually um, uh, decide on, on which model potentially with some capital expenditure uh, to go. Um, and we found that the organizations that do that start small, do a proof of concept, pick a few dozen um, parts to start with to show what can be done. Those are the ones that actually the, the journey continues and has just been growing and growing and growing over the years. So we saw companies like uh, the German transport uh, and rail company, Deutsche Bahn. They tried a top-down approach initially and found that they just didn't have the data available, um, whether that was design data or supply chain data, to be able to go through uh, and take that approach. So they set up a, a smaller team that went around the workshops for the company and said, look, this is what 3D printing can do. What should we produce? They came up with an initial tranche of parts based on uh, lead time, uh, based on the um, complexity of the part, uh, and in some case, pushing the boundary of the lowest replaceable part as well. In in equipment, produced things using um, a net an ecosystem of partners, um, and those early day things, which I I'd identified a couple of dozen parts to start with. Uh, nowadays, they're they're, uh, they're producing over. Uh, twenty thousand SKUs. I think was the latest figure I saw. Uh, using this approach,
0: so so what? Wa- uh, crawl, walk, run. Start small.
1: Yes, exactly that. Um, and the the best way to do this is to to work with partners. Is to find um, the right um, partner companies that that can understand your situation. Um, that can help with all the elements of that value chain. As I said, it, it is a choir of organizations that are needed in the value chain. Um, and that can, be, that can take up an awful lot of time. Um, if you can find a company that is a one-stop shop, that can help with the data analysis in the first place, that can help producing the engineering designs, that has access to a range of 3D printing technologies, and the post-processing engineering capability to produce things in the right material, in the right way, and better yet, that that network is distributed across the globe so you can produce those parts close to where they're needed, that's the best way of showing that capability of reduced lead times, reduced costs, um, improved design capabilities, of improved customization, of flexibility in the supply chain, That 3d printing promises
0: and so okay how can our listeners find out more
1: um two ways um the 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 first one is um contact me directly and i'm sure you'll be sharing my contact details um with this um, podcast um they can of course read my book um supercharged how 3d printing will drive your supply chain uh, both of those, uh, through both of those, you, you, you can get hold of me, um, and I'm very happy to have a chat about what three D printing can do for their supply chains um, and how to identify that right partner to help them with their challenges. Um, something that is applicable to small businesses as it is to big, distributed, global manufacturers. I think that the the important point is is that the, the days of the hype are behind us. The realities of supply chains now is that. Uh, We need to reduce costs. We need to increase resilience and enhance sustainability. And those needs are not going to go away for many years to come. 3D printing is now proven to be able to achieve all of those often simultaneously.
0: Well, as long as we change our mindset and see this as a viable option and understand that we are always dealing with complex supply chains now. And so uh, maybe this is a different type of complexity, but if it helps to reduce costs and help us make something more sustainable and build some some uh resilience within the supply chain i think it's definitely an option worth exploring right
1: absolutely right yes
0: len i want to thank you for being on the podcast it's been a pleasure talking to you and we will be sharing your details and make sure that uh, people get in touch read your book and look at this as a viable option and change their mindset so thanks so much for being here
1: it's been a pleasure thank you marie